Welcome to a court of fairies and fangirls. I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And this is a Sarah J. Mass fan podcast where we are obsessed with her books and can't stop thinking about them or talking about them. So we figured why not record us thinking and talking about it. We're going to break down chapters, go through each book separately, go into character analysis and any thoughts or kind of theories that we have about books, characters, plots, etc. And maybe play some fun games along the way. Exactly. So welcome and enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. It's finale week. Finale week. Last episode, best episode. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. I don't um, know. We're talking to Thea Guanzan today. Yes. Which hopefully a lot of y'all are here because you consistently listen to us. Mm-hmm. But Thea mm-hmm. was also an excerpt in our Romantazine magazine. Yes. She was our featured author interview in there. Yes. Because she is like blowing up at Barnes and Noble We'd and Book Talk, Bookstagram, all the things. Yes. So we were privileged and honored enough to be able to speak with her and get her to be in our magazine. Yeah. So if you got to read that excerpt, mm-hmm. there is so much more we talk with her about. That yes. is just like a small, small, small portion. Mm-hmm. And so that is what you're going to hear today. So if you're here, usually mm-hmm. we love you. But also <laughs> if you're here to you know read the rest of that interview and you're checking out this podcast to to you know mm-hmm. catch the rest of the interview welcome yeah we're so glad you're here yes um we have exciting things happening um it's new year's day happy freaking 2024 2024 yes it's gonna be a great year it is um speaking of good things happening this year mm-hmm. we got a really good thing happening giveaway oh yes um This has been a special season of authors. It has. It's been the best season. It's been so good. But also, we recognize this isn't our usual season for us. Correct. So we're grateful to you all for listening and participating in this. Mm -hmm. So we kind of fill the gap before Crescent City 3. Yes. And so as a thank you, Mm -hmm. we have an awesome giveaway. This one's pretty epic, I think. It's huge yeah like literally 10 book huge yes um so you know the 10 authors that we've spoken to this Mm -hmm. like week or past 10 weeks 10 weeks yeah (laughs) uh we're gonna give away a copy of all of their books yes one big lump sum of 10 freaking books yes one person Mm -hmm. will receive one of each of the books we've talked about this season yes Mm-hmm. It's gonna be super exciting and a, like a literal physical copy. Yes, not Kindle. We're we're making this tangible. Oh yes. Um. So check out our Instagram. Yes. At Fairies and Fangirls for that giveaway. Mm-hmm. What other fun things do we have going on, Sarah? What have you been reading? Um. So I am reading an arc that we got. Um, I know. Love that. It's called Until the Stars Fall by Ooh. Vanessa. Rassinen, I might be saying her last name wrong, so mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, comes out February thirteenth. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it so much, Aww. and this is a standalone, which <gasps> I feel like is not a thing like ever. I love it. So I was so happy. Like it was a, it was not like super long. It was it was a longer book, but I felt like I got the whole like leading up to a cliffhanger moment, and then like actually getting the results of the cliffhanger. I was like, Aww. I love this this is so nice that's awesome um but yeah i really like i'm in love with like the guy in this book connor he is (laughs) just 
he's such a self-sacrificer and i think as a like enneagram one i just so appreciate people that are like like following the rules and doing like he's an older sibling so of course he's got the younger sibling that acts out and i was just like i understand you so much connor and (laughs) i just loved him so much so that's awesome yeah so really really enjoyed that would definitely recommend reading Mm hmm that sounds so fun. Yeah. What about you? What are you reading? Um, I started a book. It's called The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic. Ooh, I've been wanting to read this. Yes. It's the Gilmore Girls meets ma- meets Practical Magic mm-hmm. vibes. Yes. And it is delightful. Oh, yay. Okay. Also, mm-hmm. at the end of every chapter, there's a recipe. I love that. Yeah. So I'm cute. like, I want to like tear out each of these pages and like make a little book of it. Yeah. Um, But it's it's... It's a lot of fun so far. Oh, good. I'm, I'm about halfway through. I'm really enjoying it. So I'll update you all on that yeah. at a future point in time. That does remind me, though, Romantazine. Mm-hmm. We're posting our book reviews there. Yes. So if you check out at Romantazine on our Instagram, mm-hmm. you can see our book reviews even when we're not talking about them on yes. a season episode. Yeah. So there's that. There is that. Um, Speaking of fun things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Sarah. Yes. We're throwing a party. We're throwing the party. Yes. Um, January 29th at 10 p.m. Yep. I don't know what you're doing, but I will be at a midnight release party for CC3. It's so exciting. I'm so pumped for this. So yes. we've talked about it a little bit before and you've probably seen it on Instagram, but mm-hmm. we're partnering with um, a local bookstore called The Bookseller. Yes. Seller, like C-E-L-L-A-R. Ha ha. Ha and we're throwing a midnight release party for CC3. Yes. Um, I just want to say we thought of this before Rebecca Yaros made the announcement she was doing a midnight True release story. party. Just I feel like it needs to be said. We're not copycats. We had the <laughs> idea first. Whatever. Um, yes. But yeah, so there's going to be us, 50 friends. We are swag bags, swag bags, uh, food games activities freaking out about cc3 so excited about this yes so if you are in the atlanta area and you don't know what you're doing you should probably get a ticket if there's any left yes so check it out all the details are on our instagram yes um speaking of what we're reading next yes mini sewed this week yes is about our top five books in 2023 and the top five books we're looking forward to mm-hmm. in 2024. I think we all know one of them on it. Uh, just a maybe. Just maybe. <laughs> but here's talk about four other books. Yes. <laughs> we're looking forward to this year. Yeah. Um, and then we already mentioned Thea's our interview this week. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it. I think so. Yeah. Oh, guys, thanks for an incredible season. Thank you so, so much. And in case we didn't already mention this a bazillion times, we are starting season nine. Yes. The Monday after Crescent City 3 launches. Yes. Yeah. February 5th. February 5th. Be there. Be square. Um, yes. It's going to be amazing. And I can already tell you, Minisode 1 is a full-on gush of yes. CC3. Everything that we want to talk about, can talk about. Yes. All the spoilers in that. Main episodes, though, we're, we're going to do our, what we usually do, where we stick to a couple chapters at a time. So you don't have to have the book finished. Right. The following week mm-hmm. to read along with us. Right. So just throwing it out there. Forward to it. So much so. It's gonna be so much fun. Well, we hope you guys enjoy this interview.
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back for finale week. Finale week. We are ending with an incredible author, Thea Guanzan, author of The Hurricane Wars. Thea, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. This is a huge honor. And I want to say congratulations to making it all the way to finale week. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us from the Philippines. This is a huge <laughs> deal for us. Our first international author. True oh, wow. story. Hopefully you won't forget it. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're a champ. It's it's evening for us here in the East Coast, and it is first thing in the morning for Thea. So she is a saint right now. <laughs> Well, Thea, we are so welcome that you're here. Um, let's dig in with just a basic get to know you question. We want to learn a little bit more about you. Sarah and I love a good personality test. And, you know, as fantasy girls, I Hogwarts house, we'd love to hear it. Um, but just anything else about you that, you know, we want the listeners to know. Okay, so hi, listeners. My name is Thea Guanzan. <laughs> I am from the Philippines. I am a romanticy author. I wrote The Hurricane Wars, which came out this October in both the U.S. and the U.K. from the Voyager imprint of HarperCollins. And when I am not writing, I like to play Dungeons & Dragons. I'm a dungeon master. And I, I love also it. Like, <laughs> and I also like to travel. And um, I drink gallons and gallons of iced coffee. It's my, <laughs> it's my main addiction. And I have two turtles named Dumpling and Potato Chip, and I Aww. have a cat named Dart Pancakes. Oh my gosh. Those are amazing names. <laughs> They're all food related. Like that's the main theme in this household. I love that so much. Um, so Thea, you said you have to travel. What's your favorite place you've ever traveled to? Uh, I would say that, okay, so my favorite city in the world is probably Paris. I know that a lot of people are like, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, Paris is dirty, the French are rude, but I honestly love it. I've been there like a few times and I have always felt very welcome and maybe also a little bit flattered because the French are kind of flirty. So <laughs> <laughs> they're very flirty and they're very polite and I really enjoy the food. And of course, I love seeing the sights. Like, um, it's such a modern city. Like, you see skyscrapers, apartment buildings, and then you turn the corner, and there's just this beautiful ancient building that's just right there in the middle of the street. And I think, I think it's great. I just love France in general. It's probably one of my favorite countries to travel to. Mm, I love hearing that. Sarah knows this. I dream of Paris constantly. I've never been, but it is at the top, top, top of my list. So I'm excited. It's I think like for for the complaints about for the complaints from tourists about from other tourists about how uh, it can be a bit dirty and smelly. Uh, I live in Manila. I live in I live in Metro Manila. Uh, like perspective. A, li a little a little dirt. A little. Uh, sewage smell that's nothing to me <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. well that writing a book is such a huge accomplishment what inspired you to become an author well ever since I was a kid I have always loved to write like I would say it was my um all-consuming passion throughout the years I still remember being in grade school and I would not be listening in class at all. I would just have my little notebook open and I'd be writing short stories and things like that. 
And like the teachers would think that I was just paying so much attention to them. <laughs> it's a and great disguise. Taking... <laughs> <laughs> and I was taking so many notes, but no, I was not listening at all. I was just writing my little short stories. I, <laughs> I think that I've always like, I've always been in love with with language and how you can play with it in order to express something that you normally cannot find the words to. But with writing, like with writing fiction, you can sort of set the scene for it. There can be so much subtext. And yeah, I think it's just like, it's it's my main way of expressing myself. And it's my, I would say, my uh, greatest passion in life. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I have mentioned, I do live in the in the global south. And it's very hard to make a living out of the arts here. I do not think that we have anything in the way of literary agencies. I could be wrong, but I've never heard of a literary agency that operates here in the Philippines. And we also only have like a handful of small local presses. So mm-hmm. all my life, I thought that being an being a published author was only meant for those who live in like the western countries mm. and uh so i just i just uh it was just my hobby i just wrote fan fiction i, I just wrote fanfic during uh during my lunch breaks so working at the office <laughs> but Love um, it. yeah happily enough um uh an editor like people in the publishing industry did reach out to me during the pandemic and they asked if I had ever thought about writing an original novel. And because it was the pandemic, um, I think the Philippines had one of the world's longest lockdowns. It went on for mm-hmm. months. And you could be jailed if you left your house. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So uh, I was stuck at home. And I guess I was having a kind of an existential crisis about yep. <laughs> what I really wanted to do with my life. because. Yeah. I was alone. I only had my turtles and my cats for company. So there was, yeah, I had lots of time to think. And then I said, well, the opportunity is here. So we might as well uh, try. We might as well give it a shot. And yeah, so that's when I started writing The Hurricane Wars. And I haven't looked back since. I love your story so much. That's so that's inspiring. And I've mentioned this to Sarah before, but I just I love like the pandemic was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Period. For sure. But so I I love that as humans, we have found so much creativity and goodness out of that time. And that like we're, we're getting to like experience some of the fruits of it now. I just I love that so much. I know it's been really I think that was one of the uh maybe one of the better aspects of it. Although uh, I I do realize that there's also an element of privilege to it. Mm. Like there, there's an element of privilege in being able to create and being able to make art while you're stuck at home. And there's a lot of people who are not able to do that. Uh, they are essential workers. Yeah. They have no income during the pandemic. So they have to, re- they have to find a way to make money. And there are also some who don't have like, uh, support from their local infrastructures, from their local governments. So uh, I, I, I am very conscious of that privilege and I'm not really sure what the way forward is. Like I don't have yeah. all the answers to that, but I do think that when it comes to writing, when it comes to creating, when it comes to art, we do have to take stuff like this into account and we just have to help one another out in the best way that we can. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And um, so speaking of inspiration, well, actually, before I even ask that, I was curious. So I really haven't met many international authors. When you mm-hmm. wrote The Hurricane Wars, did you write it originally in English or were you writing in another language? Because I know a lot of translations get lost kind of when you translate books. So I was always curious, like, are you writing it in English when you first wrote it? Oh, uh, I, I write in English, period. Like okay. everything, everything, uh, all my short stories, all my fanfics, all my poetry. Oh, I did have a poetry phase. <laughs> like all of my creative writing is in English. I, uh, we, we learn English from, from like our first years in school here in the Philippines. Gotcha. Yeah. It's an effect of colonialism but yeah. <laughs> colonialism yeah. I love how you sing that <laughs> colonialism and then um I do have to say that I am not actually that well versed in my own language like I can speak it I can I can communicate in it all right like I can communicate in it decently but I actually do not know how to write creatively in it and hmm. that's something hmm. that I am trying to work on Hmm. Well, that's awesome. But going back to all that inspirational talk that you had for us, we're going to start talking about your book now, The Hurricane Wars. Um, So you crafted an absolutely fascinating and unique world for us in The Hurricane Wars. Um, What went into the creation of this magic system, the technology, the political map and landscape? Kind of like, what was your thought process? How did this whole thing come about? So for the magic system, it, it it basically works like uh there are there's the real world and then there's either space which which is a collection of uh sort of dimensions that contain magical energy and it's the either mancers or the magic users who can tap who have the biological ability to tap into these dimensions and summon these uh these types of magic at will however sometimes sometimes the veil between the worlds sort of gets thin and the Aether magic bleeds through into the material world. And that's when it can be harvested for use in technology and things like that. So I think I was going into it with the idea of how magic is a finite resource, Mm. just like a lot of our own natural resources. I think that living in the Philippines, my perspective on this was uh, informed by my experience as part of a primarily, or like maybe not primarily, but heavily agricultural economy. Our lives and our fortunes are in ex- are like very much intertwined with that of the land. Like if it's a good harvest year, everyone has new cars, everyone's traveling <laughs> abroad. But if it was a bad year for the harvest, people sort of have to tighten their belts and stuff like that. So I was going into it with the idea that magic, just like just like the land, needs to be respected and preserved, basically. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, I love how you tied everything into like your life and your experience with just living in the Philippines. I think that's so cool to see how it translated into a fantasy world. I love that. Yeah, it was very, I don't know, like, I think it did bring me closer, like writing the whole book, it did bring me closer to what it means to be Filipino. And it Hmm. put me in touch with my heritage, which I really appreciate. And like, for example, the main weapons of mass destruction in the Hurricane War trilogy are the storm ships. 
which are basically airships that have the power to cause devastating storms that can wreak havoc on the land. And that is very much a product of me growing up in the Philippines where we experienced so many devastating storms. And it's always like, it's always a nationwide conversation on how best to mitigate their effects. I have a lot of experiences. I remember when I was young, when I was a child, my parents woke me up in the middle of the night and I was like, what is going on? Why did you wake me up? I, I got a bit mad. I was like, why did you wake me up? It's the middle of the night. But when I looked around, like water had come into the house. The whole house was flooded mm. because we had some heavy rain the night before. So the flood was right up to my knees. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then and then we had two little dogs at the time. And then I saw them like paddling through the flood water. And I was so oh. sad. <laughs> And then I don't know, like everyone had, everyone here in the Philippines has a typhoon story. Everyone has a flood story. Like uh, storms are a fact of life here in the Philippines, but it's also like for us, it's also worth uh, helping one another and doing our best to make sure that we can't stop them. But it's up to us to try to make sure that uh, their devastating effects are not like they're not crippling they're not uh they're not everlasting like there has to be a community effort to assist one another in surviving the hurricanes basically yeah that's beautiful i i I just also think it's so cool that you were able to honor your your heritage and your country through a fantasy book like i i I think people wouldn't have assumed that that was possible because you you think fantasy means not this world but you did a really good or a really beautiful job tying those together oh thank you i actually so i i do have my agent saulet to thank for a lot of that because when i started writing this book the first draft was very it was very bad i would say because (laughs) (laughs) because um so i love fantasy i am a huge passionate fan of the fan of the fantasy genre but i grew up reading like mostly eurocentric fantasy yeah all all the classics were um lord of the rings chronicles of narnia uh things like that so when i was writing the first draft of the hurricane wars the world building it was kind of generic because it was based in the stuff it was based in western constructs like the stuff that mm. i grew up reading so i had no i had no emotional investment in it whatsoever yeah but so yeah it was very um it was very bland so <laughs> when my agent after my agent read the first draft she was like why don't you set it in southeast asia and that w- it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I I was like, oh, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that we also have to sort of analyze about ourselves as consumers of media. Like, why why do we think that uh this it's not allowed to bring in non-white cultures and non-white heritages? So yeah yeah so after i got uh after I got the suggestion from my agent, that was when the world of Lear truly began to take shape and it yeah that was when I became really uh passionate about the world because this time I was writing from my heart, I was writing about stuff that I knew and stuff that was very important to me 
Yeah. Uh, but what's not great is war, and war <laughs> is very vast in this book. Um, so it's vast and complex, and you know the hurricane wars are no different. Um, so why do you think is it Alaric or Alaric? Well, I pronounce it Alaric. Alaric. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm gonna say her name wrong, probably Talison. No, that's correct. Oh, that's so, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So why do you think? Alaric and Taliesin have such vastly different perspectives of the truth of the war. I think that both of them grew up believing different things. Like it's 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 a, it's very hard to break out of it. Like if you're a child and you grow up hearing that one side is evil, one side is out to get you, so you carry that with you well into your adult life, and of course. You see, you do see like the destruction that the war is causing from your side, and you don't. I guess you don't really have the space to think about what it means for the other party, like for your for your enemy. And I think like it's it's sort of like a fear of the other. Like you are afraid of what you don't know because there's. Aside from the war, there's not a lot of interaction between these two sides. So you think that the other side are barbarians, that they're cruel, that they're, yeah, that they really want to kill you. And the thing is, that's what the other side thinks of you as well. Mm. So it's, it's very, it's very complicated. And there's like a sort of clan mentality to it. I think like, in a way, like, uh, it sort of also speaks to uh, my Filipino experiences because even though we are one country, we have like these different regions. And so there are a lot of stereotypes and prejudices that the various regions uh, feel about each other. Like, so I am from the Visayas. It's, uh, it's the third, it's, it's the middle island group in the Philippines. And it's a bit far away from Metro Manila, which is the capital, which is like the nerve center of the economy, the government, stuff like that. I moved to Manila for college and like my classmates were so, I don't know, like my my classmates who were Manila natives, they were like, oh, so you have, you do have internet in the Visayas. And I was like, of course we have internet. It's, it's stuff like that. Like it's, it's these little things. Like it's not as, it's not as, um, it's not as major as what uh, Talisa and Alaric's uh, respective states feel about each other, but it's def- there's definitely like a regional, I, I think there's definitely like a, an aspect of regionalism in it. So Talisin talks about how hate is just another kind of passion, uh, but what is it just hate between Talisin and Alaric, or is there something more drawing them to each other, do you think? I think that uh, even though they're on opposite sides of the conflict, they do have a lot of similarities. Like, they are both children of war. Uh, Fighting is all that they have ever known. But I think that deep down, they are both uh, fundamentally two very lonely individuals who just want someone to see them for what they are, who just want someone to be on their side without any end goal in mind. So... I think it's in recognizing that loneliness in each other that they reluctantly start to grow closer. 
And of course, there's the there's the thing uh, with their respective magic, like that weird stuff that happens without spoilers. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think definitely like there's there uh the magic is what is drawing them together, but it's also the loneliness. Mm. Yeah, it's it's sad, but it's 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 great that they are able to be drawn together from that it's similarity. Great, it's great reading. It's not so great for the two of them. Right. <laughs> Story. It's great to read and write about. So, I mean, writing this whole book, I'm sure, was a great experience, but I'm sure there was favorite parts for you. So, can you let us know, like, what was your favorite part to write about? Oh gosh, uh, there's there's a lot, but I I do really loved crafting the banter scenes. Mm. And there's there's uh there's a part where um. Talison gets mad at Alaric for doing something that put them both in danger, and she was like, "You could have killed us both." And then Alaric retorted, uh, "Given our respective objectives, it would probably save a lot of time if we died together." <laughs> and I, I just, I just really enjoyed that because for me, it showcased his, his kind of dry humor, mm-hmm. and it was also a very. Uh, for me, it was a very good summary of their dynamic at that point in the story. His quips cracked me up throughout this whole book. <laughs> I was like, dude, I love you. <laughs> I was going to say, one of my favorite parts to read was probably the wedding night. I oh, my God. that, the wedding vows, all of it, <laughs> the whole wedding in general. I was here for all of that. Okay, so um, I will say that uh, while writing it, I felt that, oh, this is, this is good. This is what needs to happen. Everything is flowing. I stand by this. But then after after publication, I sort of realized, okay, like my parents came to my book launch, my aunts, <laughs> all, and then everyone, my entire family started telling all of their family friends to buy it. And then that was when I realized that I may have made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I I am I come from like a very traditional Asian family, so yeah, I I don't know. I'll probably I don't think my parents have read it yet, but right Take now I'm books. I'm regretting Hard doing I'm regretting not tearing out those pages for this copy. Oh my goodness, that's too funny. So Talison has always yearned for a family after having grown up in an orphanage and on the street. Um, how do you think that drives her decision making as an adult? I definitely feel that she she is very um, she is very loyal to the Sardovian awful because she considers them her family. They were the ones who who sort of took her from the street and made her feel like she had somewhere to belong. Although there are of course moments when they like her. Her primary purpose to them is a as as a weapon, and I do think that she is not like fully aware of it because yeah, because she's uh very uh dedicated to them, very dedicated to their cause for good reason, of course, and then later on, I do think that it's her loyalty to family that sort of makes her want sort of makes her like decide things not for herself not because they're what she wants but because she feels beholden to her family it it also ties into a 
into a Filipino concept. Like I'm not sure if the if the US also has something like this, but it's called filial piety. It's basically a value that uh usually puts family above everything else and mm-hmm. I do think it's an admirable uh trait. I do feel very connected to this concept as as a Filipino myself, but I have seen how it can sort of diminish you as an individual because you are doing things for the honor for the reputation of your family and not for yourself so i have seen how it can make people feel sort of uh, repressed because they're not they're they're doing things for other people but not for themselves yeah so there was plenty of great quotes in your book but one that kind of stood out was these are the hands that will always reach for yours which (laughs) Part of the reason I wanted to call that out that my what I I don't I'm guessing you did this on purpose. Did you Mm -hmm. pull this from a hand fasting, the hand fasting like blessing? I think so. I think that when I was writing the wedding vow scene, I was looking up um I was looking up traditional wedding rites online and taking inspiration from them. So when I saw that I was like, oh my gosh, this is so this is so perfect, this is so beautiful. Yeah, I so when I was writing my own wedding vows, I did the same thing, oh, and wow. I, I I had put that that same kind of I don't think it was the exact exact wording, but that same kind of line in my wedding vows. So when I was reading their wedding vows, I was getting like extra emotional. I was like, oh, <laughs> all the feels. Uh, there's actually there's actually a part of the wedding vow uh, when when she says when she says uh in the sky above the sky where where we will meet and I will marry you again. Mm. It's actually taken from uh, my grandfather's eulogy at my grandmother's funeral. Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. so precious. Yeah. <laughs> they were together for decades. They had eight children. Oh my they, gosh. They started out as enemies to lovers. Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, they, they hated each other at first sight back in college because they were uh, they were competing over who had the highest grades in their class and they were always bickering and then one day my grandfather asked my grandmother out for ice cream and then she said no and (laughs) and he was I guess his pride was hurt so he he snapped at her like you are not beautiful and then my grandmother was like then why are you here <laughs> yeah, it was a very their their relationship was very tempestuous, but it was also um very eternal. And so, at my grandmother's funeral, my grandfather spoke, and he said, "We will see each other in heaven, and when we do, I will marry you again." <laughs> and, yeah. So so precious. I absolutely <laughs> love this so much. I know. Well, I I hope they're I hope they're proud of me. They're both in heaven now. I hope mm-hmm. they're proud of me, but I also hope that um I also hope they're not reading chapter 38. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anywho, that line, these are the hands that will always reach for years. So as the book ends and all the political and the political marriage finally takes place, can you tell us more about Alaric and Talison's view on this union? Okay, so uh, I do think that they are still very much enemies by the end of the book, but I think that things have 
that there has been a reluctant shift in how they view each other. Like, obviously, some stuff already happened, and they both regret it, but at the same time, they're sort of seeing each other in a new light. So the question from this point on is, what do they make of it? Like, do they ignore what just happened for the sake of their countries? Or do they sort of give in to the desire for connection and explore it further? And I guess we will find out in book two. Um, well, on that note, let's switch to some questions about writing this book. Writing a book is so impressive, period. Um, a lot of folks have tried and failed over the years. If you could give advice to somebody who wants to write a book of their own, what advice would you give them? First of all, uh, I will say that uh, you need to, you, you really need to approach writing as a kind of discipline in a sense. Like, you need to practice. That's the only way that you're ever going to get better at it. It's like it's like any art form. Mm. Like, when you draw, you, you don't become a, a super talented artist. or You don't become a super talented artist right off the bat. It takes time. So, in a way, working with words is also the same thing. If you, if you don't make a conscious effort to write whenever you can, you will never be able to uh, find your own unique voice. And mm. yeah, uh, as for actually writing a book, I don't know, like I'm probably the worst person to ask this because it took me two no. years to finish. It took, me two ye- it took me two years to finish The Hurricane War. <laughs> there was a lot of like, there was a lot of research that went into it. So I don't know what I could have done differently looking back because I am very much a pantser. I don't outline and I don't keep notes. So I will say uh, as part of my advice, if you're the sort of person who thrives off of making outlines and stuff like that, it might work for you to, like before you start <laughs> writing the story, it might work for you to uh, outline first and not to do what I did, <laughs> which is basically just funny. go off by. <laughs> and then um, I guess this one is more for uh, writers of color. Like, uh, throughout the industry, people will want to uh, put you into this neat little box of what they think you should write and how they think you should carry yourself purely because of your ethnicity. But I just want to say that that you don't have to cater to these stereotypes and you can just write whatever you want. You can just... Uh, act any way that you want because the people who really care about you, who really care about diversity and inclusiveness, they will they will champion that. They will champion mm. you being not like a model minority or whatever, but just being your true and authentic self. And I think my last bit of advice would be to, uh, going off of that, it would be to surround yourself with people who will always advocate for your best interests be it an agent or an editor of a small press, if you decide to go the unagented route, you always need to make sure that these people will do their best to champion your story. So it's okay to ask as many questions as you want during those, you know, during those meetings, during those calls, 
like don't be afraid for me personally again because from my from my asian background i am there like i don't want confrontation <laughs> like i i don't want to stir stir things up but it's something that i'm constantly learning like not to be afraid to ask questions and not, not to think like oh i'm bothering them like no you're doing this for yourself this is your livelihood this is your career on the line yeah so you have to learn how to advocate for yourself as well and um i like it's okay to walk away from an offer if it seems suspicious mm. or if it seems sketchy like if it doesn't give you a good feeling then you are well within your rights to turn it down. Like, it, it can be scary to walk away from that first offer because you feel like it's never going to happen again. But in the end, you will only thank yourself for looking out for yourself. Hmm. Thea, you started answering this question very timidly, and you had lots of great advice to share. <laughs> I <would have> to <laughs> say. <laughs> but I, I loved especially what you said about authenticity. I feel like it comes across in novels when someone is just writing something that they like think people want to read or fitting into a box or very like copycat-esque. And the things that stand out are the things that are unique and you can tell have that authentic voice. So I think yeah. I, I just I love what you said there. And I think we all can like champion that better. Absolutely. Um, but if in my opinion, if you're a writer, you're a reader. Um, so Thea, what are so, or who are some of your um, favorite authors? Well, uh, growing up, I had my usual favorites. Um, there was Ursula K. Le Guin. I'm sorry if I'm completely butchering her name here. But <laughs> Uh, she she wrote uh, the Earthsea Cycle, which is which I consider one of my uh, formative fantasy series. And there's also Amy Tan, who is just such an incredible contemporary author. And mm. I learned so much from her books. I learned so much about my own heritage and about writing from her books because aside from being Filipino, I also have Chinese heritage. So it was great to uh, see that in Amy Tan's works, to read that as a young girl and to feel seen. Like, yeah. oh, I, I know these superstitions. Oh, I know this language. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Like, it was an amazing experience. I think she was the first non-white author I ever read. Mm. And to see, like, she touches a lot on uh, on history, on Chinese history. And it was, yeah, it was my first experience reading that in a contemporary novel. So. I'll always be grateful to her. And of course, she's an amazing author. She's an amazing wordsmith in general. Mm. And then there's uh, Gregory Maguire. He wrote Classic. a lot. Yeah, he wrote a lot of fairy tale retellings. Uh, my favorite is, of course, Wicked, The Life and Times of Gotta the Witch of the West. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that Maguire writes such atmospheric descriptions. They're very mm. immersive. Like so that's what I try to aspire to in my in my own prose. Like he I really saw that. Yeah. He really makes you feel like you're there. And that's what I yeah, that's what I tried to make the reader feel as well. Yeah. And then there's Neil Gaiman. He is the first contemporary fantasy author I ever read. And I think he was the one who encouraged me to try writing itself to try writing in this genre because uh Neverwhere, Stardust, American Gods, the Sandman series, they were all uh so inspiring to me as a kid and and yeah, I, like his imagination, it just really 
uh, blew me away. And then there's uh, Neil, Neil Gaiman's very good friend, Terry Pratchett. <laughs> he wrote the Discworld series, which is my favorite fantasy series bar none. What I love about Discworld is that it's so outlandish. Like, the setting is very... Like, the world is on the back of a, of a turtle flying through space. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so outlandish. And there's a lot of comical elements because it is a parody fantasy series. But what I find so impressive is that Pratchett is still able to use this setting to talk about social issues, to talk about... um to talk about the human experience like all of his characters i mean they're dwarves they're elves they're trolls but what they go through is still very much an echo of what we go through as well and i think that's what that is one of the best things about fantasy how you can just let your imagination ride while at the same time still capturing what it means to be human Mm, i love that that's so beautiful well that we loved your book Hurricane Wars was such a fun read. Can you tell us anything about book two? Do you have any potential little teasers? Do you have a timeline? What can we expect? Okay, so I'm so as we speak, I'm kind of staring at the little word icon right now. It has the it has the it has the document for book two on it, and like right now, it's staring at me, sort of accusingly because I don't know, like. My other my other author friends they did warn me about the sophomore slump, yeah. Which is which is when uh the second book is the hardest to write because you are juggling publication stuff, promo stuff for your first book while drafting the second, and you're doing all of this at the same time for the first time. So uh yeah, I'm definitely experiencing the sophomore slump right now. I think mm-hmm. I am halfway through. I'm halfway through the draft and it's not going well, but it's going somewhere. <laughs> so for it's book a two, it's a process. Yeah. So for book two, um, I would say that there's going to be a lot more political intrigue and there's going to be a reveal of some very uh, incriminating secrets of the past. Mm. And, and through it all, Alaric and Talison continue to reluctantly uh, wrestle with whatever they have going on between them, like <laughs> with this with this attraction. And I guess uh, they will also explore their magic, their magical connection, and learn new things about it. I love it. Well, we're so stoked. Um, best of luck writing that. Thea. Thank you. <laughs> we under like we can only begin to understand how much of a feat that is. So you got this. We're cheering you on. Um, if folks want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So I have a website. It's theaguanzan.com. Over there, you will find. Uh, more info about my books, my upcoming events, and lots of links to all my socials. I also have a Twitter and an Instagram and a TikTok and a Blue Sky. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, my username there, it's all Thea G. Writes. Mm-hmm. And then for Facebook, I also have a Facebook page. It's Words by Moonrise. Because for some reason, Facebook wouldn't let me use Sayaji Rights as a username mm. for that page. So I have no I have no idea why. Weird. And then, yeah, then I also have a Tumblr, dayaguanzon.tumblr.com. 
gosh, thrown it all the way back to Tumblr. I haven't, I spent so many late nights on Tumblr. I haven't been there I in a minute. Same. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's still, it's still great. It's still a great site. I, I do still love it. Of course, a lot has changed. It's not as, uh, it's not as busy as it used to be. Mm. But I think that's worked out for the best in the long run because there's less drama. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Thea, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I was going to say tonight, but also this morning for you. <laughs> uh, um, we we loved your book. We love talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me. It's been a huge honor. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> well, y'all, if you haven't already, check out The Hurricane Wars by the incredible Thea Guanzan. Um, and Sarah and I will chat with y'all in a few weeks for the season nine premiere of our episode. For er, Crescent City 3. For Crescent City 3. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. Words are hard. Yes. Crescent City 3. We're coming in hot the Monday after it comes out. So we'll talk to y'all then. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to A Court of Fairies and Fangirls, a Sarah J. Mass fan podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and let us know what you think. Check out our Patreon for more ways to support and connect with us for as low as $1 a month. You can also find us on Instagram at, at @fairiesandfangirls. Jump in on the conversation, and we look forward to chatting with you more next week. Bye. Bye.